0: Good evening everybody. Welcome, welcome, uh, welcome afresh, welcome back uh, to the Revelation class. So I said, uh, I said last week here what I hope to do, Uh, this will be a running theme, I will hope to do more than what we can possibly accomplish in a given uh, time frame. I was hoping to be able to get through uh, Revelation 3 today, that just, just seems unlikely to me. Uh, after looking at the extensive notes that I have prepared for tonight. So if we can get through Revelation 1, and I want to at least get through one church, if we can get through Ephesus, I think it will help us um, have a good picture on how to approach the other churches, and we'll move through them a little bit faster. Okay, so um, that's my goal, is if we can get through Revelation 1, and then the first part of Revelation 2, and uh, to about the church of Ephesus, I think that will help. So that's kind of our goal, our goal for today. Um, so real quick, did... Um, Anybody have a chance anybody have a chance to read through Revelation? You don't have to admit it out loud, but uh, uh, hopefully you had a chance to read through it. Hopefully it brought up uh, a bunch of questions. I actually got um, some questions from some folk this week. Uh, that's perfectly fine. Like if you're if you're reading through and you want to uh, and you have kind of a burning question, you don't want to hang out because it's iffy as to what week I actually will get to talk about it. Uh, you go ahead and send that over to me on uh, Facebook or text or whatever, and uh, and I'll do my best to kind of at least point you in the right direction, if not answer it uh, if not answer it directly. Uh, anybody, I don't know anything anything jump out at you. If you've read Revelation before and then kind of took a swing at it this week, um, is there anything that jumped out at you a little bit differently? Or did you feel like you took the book in a little bit differently than perhaps you had in the past?
1: Definitely. I, I kept thinking of the main thing you got from what you said last week was um, don't take it out of the first century. And I read it completely different. Still didn't understand it. Oh, I think that's fair. I read it <laughs> Okay. So...
0: Good, good. Anybody else? Strong, strong reactions through a read-through.
2: I had a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I got through what I perceived to be Revelation, maybe three or four, uh-huh. and then kind of went, huh. <laughs> uh, and that seemed to be the general consensus of my week. Okay. It's just me saying, huh, over and over again as I read. But I agree, taking it into the context of uh, what does mean the first century and then not getting so weirded out by all the imagery and realizing that it's apocalyptic and that uh, it was meant to be um, symbolism and individual things.
0: Good, good, okay, good, solid foundation. Yes, April? Sidebar. Sidebar. Prophecy. Yes.
1: Talking about 17% of the time, prophecy does not point towards a future event. However, when they talk about the Old Testament prophesying Jesus,
0: that seems like a lot more than 17%. Actually, I would uh I I'd flip that. I would say 17% of the time prophecy is specifically indicating a future event. Oh,
1: point. Sorry.
0: Uh, other so like that means the vast majority of time that, that the Bible is using the word prophecy or prophesy or to prophesy um it's not uh, it's not pointing to a future event. That's it's yeah.
1: To, that seems like a, he fulfilled a lot, and that seems like
0: more than 17%. Yeah, so he did fulfill a lot, but relative to the amount of prophecy that is going on or the amount of word that's being communicated by prophets on God's behalf to his people, um, it, it's a smaller amount. It's a smaller amount.
3: Actually, that's a good point because Jesus kind of dominates whatever prophecy gets in the future. Yes. So if you're gonna prophesy about Jesus or about the future, then it's gonna be pointing towards Jesus.
0: That's true. Most prophecy that we would consider to be future prophecy, the reason we think that is because it includes Jesus and we can verify that it's fulfilled in the future. That's true. So like that's probably just the nature of prophecies that talk about or appear to refer to Christ or to the Messiah. Yeah. So no yeah, that's a good that's the right correlation. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so kind of to go back over some of the stuff that we talked about last week, so it frames are uh, what we're looking at this week, we talked about that there were um, this was a specific letter. Okay, it's or a book. We will call it a book, right? But it's a it's a letter to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. It doesn't mean that it is not applicable beyond that. As a matter of fact, what I think Revelation the first chapter will start to show us is that we have a correlation to the seven specific churches and their intimacy with what Jesus is talking about, but also to the church as a whole and certainly beyond their time. Like so, what we're what we're saying when we look at it and say um, not to pull it out of the first century context doesn't mean that it can't mean something for us today. All it means is that it would have been. it's it's hard to understand Pastor John writing something to the churches, these seven specific churches, that wouldn't mean anything to them at all. That's what doesn't make sense. So can it be both? Definitely. As a matter of fact, as we keep looking at symbols, symbols will often be multiple things. That's why you use symbols, is they communicate something beyond the explicit word that you're using. They're pointing to something else, generally something spiritual. Okay? Um, but yeah, that, so we can we can anticipate that we're going to be seeing things on multiple levels. Um, but we can't yank the initial letter out of the hands of a first century uh, reader, or probably a listener, someone who's hearing somebody, somebody read it, um, because that, that opens up the framework to be, the definition to be just about anything. This kind of grounds that a little bit into how would they have heard it, and then, then how does that then apply to us and how we hear it. We said it, it fit uh, multiple genres. I gave you one. We said genre was a type. I said it's a letter. What are the other types, genres? Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Um, how, how did we define apocalyptic just in general?
2: Uh, more of a symbolism meant to be encouraging
0: for uh, certain people. Yep, yep. Generally, it's uh, highly symbolic. Um, it's intended to encourage oppressed people. Um, you'll see it. So we see this a lot in Jewish literature because we see uh, certain points of time in their history that they're an oppressed people. Um, if we look for consistencies in what we would consider apocalyptic literature in Daniel, uh, parts of Ezekiel, um, these are generally communicated by other earthly, otherworldly beings, not other earthly beings, otherworldly beings um, and very highly symbolic literature, okay? So some of the things that we're seeing in Revelation, we shouldn't be surprised at understanding the perspective that they're coming from, okay? So we said it's a, it's a letter, uh, it's an apocalypse, and, and, and uh, <clears> then, <throat> excuse me, April mentioned this, Prophecy. Okay, it's most definitely prophecy. It does include uh, future things pointing to the future. Um, in fact, John's pretty clear that it is prophecy. He talks about that within the first chapter. Okay, so those are our those are our genres of revelation. So as we're reading through, uh, there were some other hints about things to consider, or things to keep an eye on as you read through Revelation. Does anybody remember any of those?
1: Numbers.
0: Numbers. What about numbers?
1: That they are. What is the word completions? Numbers that are that are just to symbolize
0: completion. There, there, are, and there are a lot of them. Yes. Four,
1: sevens, Four 12s. Sevens, 12s. seven,
0: fours, sevens, twelves.
1: Multipliers of those. Yep. And it's still completion. Yes. It's Just to show the, I like the. Um, the four ends of the earth. We know that there's not four corners of the earth. Correct. It's just to symbolize
0: and encapsulate the entire earth. Entire earth. Yep. Yep. So when we look at numbers, the right way to think about those is we're going to weigh them, not measure them. Okay? If, if, if numbers are working in a symbolic fashion, our goal is to say, what do they weigh? What are they trying to convey with the number? Not necessarily, what is, what is a measurement? And if we want to measure a number, if we can agree that most of the numbers in Revelation, if not all, because I think there's an argument that could be made for all, but if most of them are uh, symbolic or intend to weigh something, if we're going to treat it literally, why? Why in this instance is it a count when everything else seems to be more of a weight? Or of a measure. And the, the example that was in the packet, if you recall, uh, John specifically has some infatuations with sevens. I'll give you some more examples tonight that we're going to see this over and over again. And as, as a skeptical as you might be, because I think when I first approached Revelation, I was skeptical about that. I thought, I think you're looking for something. You're looking to find patterns that don't Necessarily exist. John really doesn't give us that option, especially in his sevens. Um, and, and frankly, biblically, as we look back, I, you're going to have a hard time making the case for things like for fours not being numbers of completion related to the earth. Um, how how God continues to use twelve. Symbolically, as a completion for his people. Um, so it opens that world up as long as we, we can walk into it. Um, again, we're not looking for an easy answer here. We're just looking to figure out what exactly they're communicating. And numbers are going to do that for us. And so if we come to something and you want to weigh and you want to measure that number, we need to talk about why we're not weighing it, why we think it's a count. Um, because there are some biblical interpretations um, of Revelation where we'll treat this one way over and over again. But because it fits our certain end times Understanding, we want to measure a number as opposed to weighing it, and if we're going to do that, we at least have to have a good reason for it. We have to figure out why are we doing this uh, as opposed to how we normally treat it.
1: Would you argue that feeding the five thousand and feeding the four thousand—that was just the number of men. And so it's not a true number? Uh,
0: kind of measure that? So so interestingly enough, um, I don't think five thousand was probably the accurate count. Um, I think in in terms um, of that scenario that's going on there, I think there's there's some interesting parallels between the number of people there and the number of people that make up a Roman legion. And and Jesus is kind of a commander there. So uh, here's the, am I, am I going to hang salvation on that thing? No, but like I think it makes um, I think it makes sense with the way um, they're using numbers. And when I say them, I don't just mean biblical writers. I mean like Jewish folk in general. Okay, they're just they're not as concerned of newspaper linear timelines. Okay, they're telling big stories, they're telling big concepts, and they're using numbers to help communicate that type of thing.
1: So then, what about your example as far as the temple
0: and the measurement of the temple? Um, not to give away too much, but I don't, think that's a, I don't think that's a real temple. So if you have, if you look, the, um, it, it, a lot of that language harkens back to Ezekiel measuring a temple, which also wasn't an earthly temple. Okay, so like we, we point back to that thing. I don't think he's measuring an earthly temple. And if you look at it, they're all multiples of 12, right? And, uh, and the measurement's an exact cube, which is the, um, the same measurement of the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I, think that's, I think he's communicating something different than how big is this temple, um, because again, if we look at what it's talking about at that point to Revelation, like to what value is he saying, here's exactly what it measures, or is he trying to, to communicate a, a sense of completion of like, my temple is the size of whatever it needs to be? Um, and it's a perfect cube representing kind of where heaven and earth interact, which is the holy, holy. So we'll dig into that some more, but yeah, I would my first impression would be that's not a literal temple and it's not a literal measurement. Isn't
3: that some of the dispute they have on when the book was written? how it can be measured or not measured?
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, most of the time, if they want to pull it pre-70, they will do that because they want to look at the measurement of the temple, um, because they want to use the number as a, uh, as a measurement, not a weight. And, so, and, I, and here's the thing. Is, is I hope I communicated this well enough the, in the first class. I sympathize with that. Um, again, wise people that love Jesus that will not agree with the way that I rec- look at Revelation. And the truth is I think this is a, we're going to look at it, we're going to digest it in a healthy way, um, and then we're, there, there are points where people in this room will cross from me and say, I think that's a leap or I don't think that's um, we didn't follow the right trail there. And I think it's a literal measurement. I'm going to date the book pre 70 and it's going to mean some different things to me. I can respect that. OK, people can love Jesus. Wise people believe those things and we can diverge there. Um, but in that instance, a lot of times what happens, I I don't have a good answer to the question as to why that becomes a literal measurement when actually that same line of thought would generally treat most numbers as symbolic. So those are the questions I think we have to answer if we want to be faithful to what the book's telling us, as opposed to saying uh, I want the book to be this, and so this is how I'm going to read it. And I will tell you we'll run some stuff today, and at at least every week, if not multiple times during the week, there will be some things uh, or during the text that we're covering in a specific week, I'll say, this is not a slam dunk for me. I have some hesitation on the way that this wording is interpreted, Um, specifically this week um, with how Jesus says soon, how soon things are going to happen. Um, I think uh, I've seen some interpretations that that, uh, don't commit Um, to soon the way that 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 word is being used, and I think we have to deal with that. Um, And so that's some of the stuff that we'll talk about, things that I don't think are are slam dunks as far as where I'm coming from, Um, and then can we look at some other options that might make sense. Okay, Um, other things that we said, I said um, try to keep an eye on revealing truths, not events necessarily. Um, If we're reading Revelation with a newspaper in hand, I think we're probably approaching it incorrectly. Um, First of all, that otherwise implies that our point in time is the point in time that was in a frame of reference for Revelation and that the 2,000 years that have passed between when this was written and today that was that was not a reference but here's the deal everybody from the point of which Revelation was written to today uh, always thinks that their time is the time. Uh, there, in fact there was a big deal at um, what was it a thousand a thousand AD um, that this has got to be the thing, like the, uh, especially when you look at the the thousand years in Revelation. Again, that's a literal count, which I would hesitate on, but like it must be a thousand. There was like a two-headed goat born that year, or just prior to that. And I thought this has got to be the thing, right? We've talked about the multi-headed creatures, right? So you got you got a two-headed goat. You got it coming up on a thousand AD. This is this is the thing. And he, there's there's stacks and stacks and stacks of books for sale on people who said this was the time and it wasn't the time. So. Again, should give us some pause on. Oh, we think all signs are pointing. This is definitely the time when, like every other joker who thought that was the case, you know, sold a thousand books and now he's broke. Oh, that
1: was a big deal in you know, too. Yep, 2000, 1988.
0: 1988, 1988. Because we are uh, you're a generation out from uh, the creation of the nation state of Israel. We'll, we'll touch on that only briefly, but like we probably need to let go of our infatuation with Israel as a, as a, as a nation-state that was created by uh, a series of governments versus how we understand God's people as Israel, okay? Uh, because, again, uh, the framework that that's based upon, the world should have been done in 1988. Or at a, they, they redefined generation, and so now you've got some leeway up to, like, 2088 uh, if you want it to try to buy you some time. But, again, literal measurements, and we're looking for revealing of truths not necessarily events. We're gonna want. We're gonna run into um, we're going to, these uh, series of trump, uh, trumpets, bowls. Okay. We're gonna to want to put those events. What t- what point in time did this happen? Who is doing this? What is it exactly? He's revealing truths about things, not necessarily events. Okay. Um, I said, keep an eye, embrace recapitulation. The fact that he might be telling the same story from a different angle multiple times. Okay? This isn't biblically new either. The, the Bible isn't asking us to say you have to read Revelation completely differently than you read everything else. Okay. This, this shows up in multiple parts of the Bible. I would make an argument that the Gospels are that. Okay? It's a recapitulated story um, written by somebody else from a slightly different perspective to communicate, again, distinct truths about these events. What
1: well, we learned in Daniel we just from the visions and the
0: dreams. Yes. It's the exactly.
1: It's
0: the same. Well, um the uh, same It's it's they're bigger, yeah. Or the dreams of do you remember the dreams that the um, that Joseph had to interpret? Okay, they're both kind of predicting this famine, but there's there's two of them. Um, could you have communicated just the one? Sure, but he's, he communicates them using a recapitulation or or a different dream that otherwise is intended to communicate the same thing. Okay, it's not a new biblical principle. Uh, John just kind of blows it up a little bit and uses it uh, much more expansively than I think we've seen in other parts. Beginning of Genesis is like that. Genesis 1 to 3, that's, there's recapitulate. You move in and retell the same story. Um, focus on the forest. We're going to want to digest every symbol. I get it. Um, but let's make sure we don't lose the forest for the trees, okay? Um, We'll we'll talk through that as we come around them. We said we need to be careful to ask the right questions. Um, I have things that I want Revelation to answer that John is simply not interested in answering, And so it's not fair. (laughs) I want to know what points in time I want to know names. Um, These are things that we need to see if that's what he's trying to communicate. And if he's not, we kind of need to let the question go um, and let John kind of answer, or frankly, Jesus answer what he wants to answer um, in Revelation, as opposed to saying, if you don't answer this and I don't like your interpretation, well, it may not be designed to answer that. Okay. Um, And the last one, and and I would call this the more important, um, we approach Revelation just like any scripture, and I intend for the text to change me. Okay. Um, so it's hard to come into Revelation with a blank slate, but um, that's what we're going to do that the best we can and say, as I read this afresh, um, how, did, how does the text change what I understand, not me saying, here's what I want it to be? And the truth is, um, like I told you last time, uh, reading Revelation has changed what I believe, not because I wanted it to, because I frankly had to. I had, no cho- I had no choice but to read this and say, what is the text saying? And then how do I rightly react to that as opposed to holding my own kingdom in my own court and saying, here's what the Bible is going to communicate to me. Um, the Bible is going to tell me what it's going to tell me, and then I need to react to that. Um, and so I expect the Bible to do that. And I do believe most certainly that he has provided you guys as my community and for each other that my community will help shape my thought as well. He provides you to stop me if I'm going off the rails, if I've got a bad interpretation somewhere. That's why he puts teachers in places. That's what we're for. Um, and then as a community, you guys can help hold that accountable so, with, so that we, again, as a group, are trying to discern this thing rightly together. All right. Uh, oh, and finally, it was the Old Testament allusions. We're going to hit that. We're going to see that big today. Um, in fact, we, we don't we have no time at all to cover all the Old Testament allusions here, but we're going to hit the big ones that we think inform looking at uh, Revelation chapter 1. Okay. Everybody Ready? <laughs> We're a class and a half in. We still haven't read any part of the book. There we go. Revelation 1.1. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, did, I, did, um, I fully intended to get you packets this week to extend what you have. Um, I'll have those for you next week. I got my notes done, but I didn't get your packets done, so I apologize for that. I'll have that for you next week. Uh, all right, let's read it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What did we say that word revelation means? And What's the Greek word for that? Apollo uh,
3: I forget this one. Uh, in, in,
0: apocalypse. It's apocalypse. apocalypse, it's apocalypse, okay, that's where we get the word apocalypse from, it's how we understand the genre itself, um, the Latin word is, r- see, I, I remember this because it's fun to say, revelatio, it makes me feel very, very eccentric and unique when I say it like that, okay, although I don't, I don't pull it off well, Boova, do you do a sweet rolling R? No. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Revel audio. So that's the being <laughs> recorded. Uh, yeah. So it's the apocalypse, the revelation uh, of Jesus Christ. There's no. Um, there's not an article there. It's not the apocalypse. Okay. So we talk. We want to talk about. Hey, it's the apocalypse. That's not this. Okay. It's a apocalypse. It's a revelation. A revealing. Okay, of something that God wants to communicate. There's not an article there. Um, we said we reminded that apocalyptic literature is symbolic writing, is designed to encourage and impress people, generally through the use of otherworldly beings. Okay, this revelation is being communicated to a specific group of people at a specific point in history. However, it should be considered as part of God's ongoing. Revelation. That's what scripture is, is it not? Like it's, we're running into revelations of God, revelations of his character, of, of how he engages with people. All these things are designed to point us back to who God is, what he wants, okay? What we look like as his people, where his kingdom is going, stuff like that. It says, uh, let's see, which God gave him to show his servants. Who are his servants? Good. I think it's John.
1: <laughs> well, John, yeah, but... Yeah.
0: Well, uh, of
1: and
0: all of us servants. Yeah, so, so the way... Yeah, right, and I think this is how, this is part of the ways that we can recognize that this extends beyond um, it's, it's implicitly who he's talking to. Um, we can certainly see John in this. If you look back on the, uh, how the Old Testament, it, it does refer to prophets as servants, and Amos has said, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Okay? Uh, ooh, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord, the Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Uh, again, prophesy as a reaction to something that God has done. Okay? Who can speak to this as opposed to a, a, future, uh, a future dated item? Okay? Uh, and in Revelation 10, he'll kind of reiterate this. It says, but in, that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servant, the prophets. Okay? So yeah, I think we have in light here John, and then ultimately through John, it gets passed down to everybody else. He says, what must soon or swiftly take place? It depends on the uh, translation that you're reading as to whether it says soon or swiftly. Um, So things must, which must shortly take place. It's a Greek clause. What it means literally is what it is necessary to happen in short. Okay. The question that I had, so as I'm reading this, and I think this is is a rightful question, um, is when they say soon, so like, what's soon? Because I would say if it was supposed to be soon, as I think is soon, because I think, hey, we're going to have chicken for dinner soon, I expect this to happen within a week or so. Okay? Or they're, they're building a new Goodwill in Johnston. It's going to be open soon, six months to a year. All right? But if they say soon, how am I supposed to understand that? Um, I think the primary question we're looking at is whether John is describing how the events will happen. Okay? Will they happen swiftly, one after the other quickly? Okay? Or when the events will happen? it's that, is, that's soon. Um, here's, here's, uh, if I wrote down some problems, so the problems with when, okay, if we're to take this as, will it happen very quickly afterwards? Okay. Jesus says, no one's going to know the day or the hour. This would imply some sort of known time. So it's a, it's a barrier for me for soon. I'm saying that's going to happen uh, soon from a timing perspective. Um, also, for those looking for signs in the newspaper that the end of the world is near, we have to acknowledge that, like, everyone has done the same thing. It's going to be soon. It must be now. What are the signs? And we've been wrong for a couple thousand years. Okay? So I think some of those are, uh, that's a tough case to make for it's happening soon. So that would then toward to lean me towards, well, it means that when things happen, they're going to happen swiftly or quickly. Um, I had some concerns with that. Okay, here's here I think our problems are with how. Um, it doesn't appear to be the direction of the book in general um, revelation isn't doesn't seem to be talking about a series of events happening one after the other it tends to be communicating broad truths that are reactions of god on humanity. Um, and so the, the timing of those, does, he doesn't seem to be too caught up on with the rest of, the, of where the book is going. Um, like the, like the Four Horsemen, I said, I, I believe that those guys would are, are coming together. And I think as we look at that, you'll at you'll least understand where I'm coming from there. Um, although, also, there does seem to be some relevance to quick reaction to the ba- behavior of some of the Asian churches. When we start to look at um, his reaction to some of the the churches that he's talking to, um, he, there is some urgency to, to what he says. If you don't repent... I will come quickly and take your lampstand, okay? And that, and that coming—if uh, you guys remember from kind of our end times discussion—that's an erkomai. It's a—it's a directly. There's some immediacy to that, not a at some point, some point way in the future, or or that then I'm going to come. So like, there seems to be this, this balance of things are happening now, but also later, okay? The already and the not yet, um, but that there is some quickness to what's happening to them, but that doesn't fulfill everything that the book seems to talk about, okay? So. I think I have some I don't know ifs on on both. Um, there's a, uh, a commentator that says the phrase indicates that the sure accomplishment of God's purposes, rather than a hasty consummation uh, of history. So he would generally say that when it happens, it's not prescribing when, but at the point that it does, to the things that are happening in the future, they will happen swiftly. You're not going to see this um, those things tarry. Um, the only thing that, that I think I can grab onto there is remember when we were talking through Matthew 24 and 25, we said there was a separation between um, what, what uh, Jesus was talking about in the destruction of the temple. And then ultimately when Christ returns, one was full of signs and you knew that was going to happen relatively soon. The other, you had no idea what was coming, but it would be very obvious. Um, and so I think that ties in a little bit to understanding that we don't know when it's going to be, but it will be very obvious. That would make sense to me, but I would say both um, at least have some level of uh, I have questions about both interpretations of that. Okay, so there's an example where I'm not I'm not solid on either one uh, completely.
1: Well, in the, the position of, of Jesus working within an uh, in infinite time, you know, the one who is, who was, and will be mm-hmm. is all the same thing, sort of. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't know how to say it, but. I would I would tend to align with you. Uh, we're going to know it, and and it's not going to be. We're just going to mess around, and, and when it when it begins, yeah, it's you
0: know. Yeah, I think you'll know that when
1: it rolls back. It's not going to take a long time.
0: Yeah, generally and speaking, I, yeah, I think it, you're not going to be in a, you're going to be confused as to whether Christ has returned. Yeah. Um, And and frankly, I think that the rest of the book will bear out pretty cleanly that um, we don't have to think of it on one temporal plane, that things, um, because uh, the consistency of God's character, the things that are true now will always be true. How we, in fact, we'll see this later, how he deals with a Babylon. Okay. Does this have to be him only dealing once with a particular, uh, even this is like a, it's not actually Babylon, right? Like it's a standby entity. Um, Or is that how, is that, are we revealing how he deals with everyone that fits into that category? And so those are the types of things that we'll talk about through as we go through the book, okay? Um, But anyway, I wanted I told you I would tell you where I'm not certain on that, I'm not certain on that one, okay? All right, Um, so made known, it says, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known. This is worth saying, um, the King James Version translates that as signified, it's the same word that John uses to describe um, the miracles of Christ, and so it points us again to, to make sure that we're recognizing things are being communicated through signs. Okay, through symbols. That's a specific word that otherwise denotes that. Um, that most of your, uh, the NIV and the ESV don't uh, translate it that way, uh, but the, the King James version and the New King James version will both do that. I think they got the essence of the word um, more correct. But then again, I'm a very dangerous uh, underlying Greek guy, so my opinion on the matter I would take with a very, very small grain of salt. Um, so, but the the root word is does mean sign. John uses that same root word uh, again in his gospel, talking about the miracle of Christ, uh, and it confirms here that the truth will be revealed through signs and symbols. How, that the angel? What's is that? The angel the symbol? No, no. I, I think he's just in general. Um, he's making known. Uh, he made it known by sending his angel. He's making known this revelation, and we know that he's going to use signs to do so. Signs and symbols to do
1: because
0: so. To show up uh, well, also true. Also true, as far as we know. Um, Okay, order order of the revelation. So reading through that first, uh, Revelation 1, 1 to 2, there are multiple parties involved in this revealing. Who are they? Jesus. Jesus. How does Jesus get the message?
3: Uh, God showed it to him.
0: God? To Jesus. Jesus to who? His
3: servants.
0: His servants. Well, hold on. Yeah, angel. Angel's in the middle. Angel. Servants. We'll call that John. Who then hands it out to church. Hey man, it's a pretty long line of stuff. Okay, God gives to Jesus. Jesus gives to angel. Angel to servants. John, prophets, who then communicate to the church. Okay, good. That's our order. That's how the uh, revelation is coming down. Um, his angel you know, you know what's interesting about that he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John we don't know really anything about this angel I, I don't need to know his name I don't need to know what color robe he wears I think it's white but I have no idea Okay. Um, but it's interesting that it's a his right? it seems like a close connection uh, to Jesus uh, it says to his faithful servant that's John that word um, and you've probably heard this before if you've sat through uh, any number of sermons but that uh, Greek word is doulos it means slave Okay, servant. servant means slave. It says, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, given the context, it seems to refer to the revelation that is contained herein. Okay, this... Um, uh, Jesus is giving the testimony okay, of what's of what's to come. And John's role here echoes that of his role in the gospel. If you remember what he wrote uh, in John 21, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So John is serving the same role in Revelation as he did within his gospel, which is he bears witness to what Jesus is up to and then shares it with the world. OK, so John's John's role as, as prophet and distributor of Jesus. Information has not changed. That's what he's doing here. Uh, interestingly, he goes to blessed is the one who hears and keeps what is written. Uh, blessed is one who reads a lot of the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Um, two things that are interesting about that to me. First of all, what does that sound like? Blessed, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are Beatitudes. Beatitudes. Sound like the Beatitudes. There are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Don't look into that any further. John's revealing himself. Okay, seven, seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are two that bookend. Um that show up in one point, in one three, and 22.7. two seven. Uh, one three says, "Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy." And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written. And then um, the beatitude in twenty two seven says, "And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book." And I would call those um, what they call, what they call an inclusio, which means you're bracketing something. Okay, and those that uh, those. Beatitudes are bracketing kind of this, this testimony from Christ um, that's happened in here. And I don't think it's an accident that there are seven Beatitudes. Don't miss, though, that, that we found a technical connection to the Beatitudes. Um, he's saying, you're blessed. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So
1: the people that are reading this will know the Beatitudes, will have heard about it? Oh, definitely.
0: Well, Most definitely. Uh,
1: Witnessed it?
0: Perhaps, well, no. well, John did. John, did. So, I mean, it's possible. He's um, old. Yeah, it's possible, but yes. Yep. That would be the underlying assumption. He's old. <laughs> He's, old. He's pretty old. <laughs> He's old. He was
2: definitely there.
0: <laughs> I tried to hunt that down this week. I told you, I said he got, he got off Patmos. Um, and then Domitian dies, who's the one that exiled him, um, and then he was allowed to leave. And then I try to figure out exactly when he died and how old he was, and I had trouble finding something that I considered reliable. But old is the right characterization. He's definitely old. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, so note the connection here between hearing and obeying. Um, we're going to see this primarily in the churches, in the letters to the churches as well, uh, when Jesus is going to say, I know your deeds. Okay. And uh, if you look at the um, the church of Ephesus, he's going to say, you need to repent and do the works that you did at first, okay? John does not seem to fight with something that I would consider to be a primarily a, a Western, Western Jesus type of deal where we make a lot of distinction between what we believe and what we do. Um, I'm not sure the Bible makes that as much of a distinction as we tend to think about it. Um, uh, generally, we get into salvation arguments over, well, I believe this, but my life doesn't look like this. And, and frankly, the, um, uh, the Bible just doesn't seem to make that same broad space between them. Okay, um, It is a reflection uh, of what you believe. It's not a, a concept that he continues to deal with. In First John 5, 3, he says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, James two twenty six 26, First, the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's not a self, not We get caught up in this because we're going to argue about whether I can be saved without doing the works, right? But it's the wrong conversation, okay? It's simply the wrong thing to argue about. Um, Paul in Ephesians says, like, you are saved by faith, not works so that no man can boast. But why did he save you? For good works, okay? It's not a distinction that the biblical writers are spending a lot of time, okay, arguing about, Um, Where we get where I think we get lost in that discussion is because we want to we want to land on talking about uh, making sure that it's clear that it's a faith thing that our salvation is, which is completely true because I don't care what you do. you're, You're not getting you're not in the kingdom without Christ. That's the truth. Okay. but this this time we spend trying to make that distinction. We have to recognize and revelation will bear this out. Something fierce. What Jesus, he expects that something to happen from that. Okay. It is a belief that then changes what I do. Okay. It impacts what I do. His, when, he, when he talks to Ephesus, he says, you, I expect you to change. I expect you to change what you're doing. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, for the time is near. I think this, I run into a similar issue with this, um, as we were talking about with soon. Although in the New Testament, the, the Greek word is kairos. It normally refers to like a critical divinely ordained moment in the line of history as a whole. Um, Revelation is this it's it's very much uh, it's the cross centered uh, in fact we keep time differently do we not okay before cross after before Jesus after Jesus okay that that event completely changes how we look at time so as far as the Christian concept of time is concerned um, that moment that Kairos dawned with the coming of Jesus uh, in whom, to whom time is divided uh, because of his coming an hour of fulfillment has arrived and the rule of God is broken in and we are reacting to that in repentance and faith so for, in this verse then, I think John reminds the people that are reading or that are hearing that all time is now critical, right? We've defined this as the time that is, that, excuse me, that is defined by Christ has come and died on a cross, okay? So we look at time differently, and it is, it is all critical, and the present as well as the future and those who live in them stand under the judgment of God because we're all under the terms of a Christ that came to earth and died on the cross, um, and we could potentially, and this is why your packet would have been helpful here because I would have been able to show this to you a little bit, but should potentially consider that use of time as similar to how we talk about last days. Okay? The last days as defined in the New Testament, um, it, like the biblical writers thought they were in the last days. And what basically the way I would read that would be uh, basically days are going to end at some point. When Christ returns for a second time, we will no longer be counting days. We are in the last of them. Um, that is not necessarily defined by, uh, defined by a specific amount of time. Um, those uh, A lot of your New Testament writers just believe that Peter said, w- we're in the last days. Well, you know, we're still alive. So we have to understand either he's wrong, Holy Spirit inspired incorrectly, or we need to think about that phrase differently. Um, in fact, there's not a use of last days that otherwise doesn't imply um, something beyond uh, their lifetime. Okay, good. Everybody good so far? Moving on. Uh, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from the sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him, even so. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, okay, so he starts, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So this may be exact, okay? He, we know he's talking to seven specific churches. He lists them by name and discusses them with them. Um, could he have done more than seven? Was he involved in more than seven? Yeah, yeah. It's, in all likelihood, he also planted the churches in Hierapolis and Crosse, which would have given you nine. They are on either side of Laodicea. Okay, those two churches names will come up in the letter to Laodicea. Um, But uh, I think you want seven for a reason, given his propensity to sevens. Um, So you want to go with seven literal. Okay, I can buy that. Um, If it's if it's seven as a uh, meaning of register of completeness, which, again, we would get that from. Where's our major seven at the beginning of the Bible? Seven days of creation. creation. yep, seven days of creation. That's generally where our concept of completeness comes from. Um, God did not have to have a seventh day, right? He chose to rest as an example, but also as a completion to the week. That's where the Jewish thought of seven as completion comes from. Um, and so uh, I think it is a, uh, I think he's, he's meaning seven specific churches, but also all churches, complete. Okay, this is a message, a complete message to um, what would be the entire church, as a whole and then also us, we get to benefit from that as well. So I think we should consider that as his community of church and given the distinct names, circumstances and location, but otherwise benefiting all, okay? Which is also why the letters are to the churches are open. Okay, let, if you're, if you're, um, let, let him hear who uh, what the Spirit says to the churches, If this applies to you, it applies to you, okay? It's an open letter. Uh, Real quick, I'll just give you an example of some sevens, uh, sevens uh, that John uses. Churches, seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels who stand before God, seven trumpets, seven thunders, 7,000 as far as people killed in uh, Revelation 11, seven heads, crowns, angels, plagues, vials, mountains, kings. And those are direct listings of seven. If you have some implied groups, and I think we do need to, to notice them, Beatitudes, um, Antichrist's contract, uh, Antichrist. So John, John believes there was an Antichrist in his time, just to, to give us some balance to what we're expecting there. He uses that phrase. And again, same writer, right? Same writer in First John is the same writer in Revelation. He talks about Antichrist in his day. So uh, pull that down into the right perspective. Seven I am statements of Christ. Seven doxologies in heaven. Uh, Every tribe and tongue and people and nation says that seven times. Lord God Almighty, the one who sits on the throne, the Alpha and the Omega. That seven times, and uses the word prophecy seven times. Okay, could be a coincidence. That actually might be stretching my imagination. Um, I think that's very much intentional. So we have to measure, we have to uh, weigh those numbers and not measure them. Okay. He continues on, "Grace to you." We said that's an indication or reminds us that this is a what?
3: Letter.
0: Yeah, it's a letter. Okay, a lot of our a lot of our New Testament writers are saying that, okay, are showing um grace to you as an indication that is a uh, um, that it is a letter. What's interesting is he says grace and peace, and um uh you take this particular thought with a grain of salt, okay? But like um those two things combined, uh grace the combination of grace, which is uh, a welcome, okay, a Greek welcome, and then um peace is Hebrew shalom. Okay? same thing yeah you're saying the same thing but you're saying it tw- you're basically saying it twice or in two different ways to the churches in Asia Minor which are likely to be mixed by those two groups of people okay whether that's intentional or whether he just likes flowery language in his in his letter I'm open okay but it, it seems to make sense with who he's dealing with
1: this
0: was Hebrew. yeah because it's it's sh- uh, shalom it's that word shalom for for peace okay, okay. He continues on, uh, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. What should we take from that? What's it, what, what's, what could he be trying to communicate by that description of who it's coming from? He's
2: existed in all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's an, that's an infinite being. Uh, who always has been, who is currently, who's living, and basically who always be. Okay, who is to come. Good Does anything strike us about um, or does that remind us of any other descriptions of God? I have an answer, but I thought I'd give you a shot at it <laughs> what if i what if I said perhaps think Moses burning bush what's his name I'm, yeah it's, it's, it's a, right it's a definition of who of who he is and you're going to see this I am uh, this I am statement of who he is a the de- definition okay of uh, of his persistence and he said what well, his answer to Moses is I am who I am okay it's it reminds me of that because it's it's a um, it's not a distinct name but it describes his quality okay like there's not another name that otherwise describes me I am who I am, and I am, I am persistent throughout all eternity, okay? So I think we have a bit of a paraphrase that goes back to Exodus 3 when Moses is trying to say, who is it that I should say sent me? And he says, I am, I am sent you. I am who I am, okay? Uh, we also see this uh, reference back. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You remember Jesus giving that explanation to the Sadducees? Um, they were talking about the, the resurrection, okay? Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They said, when you're dead, you're dead, Okay? And so, uh, Jesus is talking to them and says, but God is the, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, God is the God of the living. Okay? So, we see that, that echoed in the um, who is and who who is. That's our who is part, right? He is still living God. He's living and active, um, interacting with his people. Good. Um, three is uh, generally referred to as a number of, the, of divine, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, um, and so there is a bit of a, although um, the was is is to come. You're going to see that in a few of the descriptions um, of uh, either Jesus or God in Revelation. You're going to see three descriptors of them. Okay, good. Other
1: than
0: Yeah, it's not going to show up all the time. Uh, you're right. Just completion two Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, who was and was is come? There we go. Oh, and you know what's interesting is we, we'll see a, um, he says, uh, later it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. You're going to see this as a parody, okay? You're going to see a, a creature show up in uh, Revelation 17, um, and it's this. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Okay there's a series of these like if we look in uh that, that's when that starts to happen around Revelation 16:17 as you start to see some some beasts that are like they sound a little bit like like God but they're not they sound a little like Jesus but they're not they're kind of a, a of a parody a mockery of what it is but they're they're always the evil version someone who looks like he's been wounded but came back to life um takes us back to the slain lamb in Revelation 1. Um, so look out for those and, and maybe recognize that he's, he's saying something about the beast without actually trying to describe the phys- what they physically look like. Okay, it's a parody. It's supposed to sound like God, but it's not. It's a failed attempt to be God or to represent Christ. Okay, seven spirits. Anybody have any thoughts on the seven spirits? Is there, do we think there's literally seven spirits?
1: Isn't,
0: isn't, seven also, isn't 7 also, like, perfect? Uh, that's, so there's um, debatable discussion about that as to whether we should consider it as a perfect number versus the nature of completeness. Um, most of the time, I think it would fall on, um, on complete. However, the reason that perfect would make sense here um, is probably the same reason, I think is probably coming to the same conclusion that I, that I think it is um, perfect would actually work. Um, but I think, generally speaking, we would think of it as completeness. That'll make more sense when I tell you what I think it is. <laughs> no? Hey, you guys.
3: Are we supposed to guess or
0: you no, because John tells you later on in this chapter, you've embarrassed yourselves. I know you didn't read it. Shame on you and your houses.
1: <laughs>
0: I tell you what, we'll run across it. We'll, we'll get to it when we get there, okay? Okay. Um, all right. Seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Um, let's talk about Jesus as the faithful witness. Um, so there's a threefold description of Jesus. Um, uh, in fact, we would call this a doxology. Okay, It's a uh, doxa is a Greek word. It means glory, God's glory. Um, and so doxology means a word or a praise about the glory of God. Uh, and so we get this description of Jesus who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and a ruler of the kings of the earth, okay? So this is the doxology there of Jesus. Um, the word for witness, the Greek word, yep, martyr, okay? That's where we, that's where we get our word martyr from uh, and its definition, <laughs> okay? A faithful witness. Uh, and we're gonna see that same word applied to a man named Antipas, um, in, a, uh, in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, same deal. Antipas has, has uh, given his life for what he believes in Christ. Okay. Uh, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Um, <clears throat> so I think the firstborn calls us back to, uh, actually both of the, the, those last two calls us back to Psalm 89. we want to, well here, maybe I'll do, I'll do this one. Unless someone can beat me there. But we're looking for Psalm 89. There we got it. Okay, um, oh, I don't want to read this whole thing, um, but let me start in Psalm eighty-nine, nineteen. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one, and said, "I have granted help to, excuse me, to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him, my arm also shall strengthen him." The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That smells like Revelation stuff, doesn't it? Okay. So in in, in Christ, we have a greater David which I think is, is something that's borne out through the Gospels. But you see John has kind of grabbed that language and brought it in here as part of the description of Jesus. That we have him as the, uh, as the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth. Uh, first, firstborn of the dead implies what? There have to be more. more yeah, there have to be more, right? There are more that are, that are being reborn, okay? okay or, which is, that's us, Okay. He led. He led the way in, in death. He leads the way in resurrection and ultimately towards life. Uh, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Um, would this be a problem for those people that are the for the people that are receiving this letter? I think possibly. I think possibly, if we talk, the stuff that we talked about, they are prone, we know that there is at least some levels of social seduction here. Um, Again, that'll bear on kind of the letters to the churches, but like things that, that are expected of them publicly in relation to the emperor as a god, worshiping the emperor as a god, Okay, the imperial cult stuff. Um, Also, unwillingness to do that leading to death. Again, Antipas is an example. We said it wasn't as, we need to be careful not to overstate this as if it was systemic and widespread, but it was happening. The martyrdom of Polycarp kind of demonstrates that. The death of our friend Antipas in Revelation 2. Okay, the death of Christians under under Nero and in the time of Domitian. It was certainly happening. Okay, Um, so do you need reminded potentially that Christ is the ruler of the kings on earth? That he still rule, rules over these people. Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. I think it's an encouraging word that says, even in light of these things, is God still God? That was a lot of, um, in case if you haven't had the chance to, to listen to um, the Daniel study that Dave, uh, that Dave Herrick did, like that's a lot of the same communication. Okay? Those, they have, those people have been exiled. And, and, God is, and you think that if God had put us in this land, and now another group has come in and taken us out, are their gods stronger? Do they have a God? And is it stronger than our God who didn't protect us and we've been taken out of the land that he promised? Is God still God? And the book of Daniel very much focuses on that problem and says, yeah, God is still God. Let me, let me show you what's going to happen from here. Okay. Let me encourage you as to who I am. Uh, and he, he shows his dominance over Nebuchadnezzar and is working through Nebuchadnezzar to even make it happen. Not only is God still God, he did this. He was part of this process. OK, and then what we see in Daniel is a looking ahead and say, you will see these. Uh, you guys remember the picture of the horrid beasts in Daniel chapter seven that are coming out of the sea. OK, and it's a and these things like terrible things that will terrorize the people. And God says, yeah, I sent them. And this is how they're going to be. This is how things are going to work out. And, and this will be a rough time for you. But just know my hand is in it. And and if you stay faithful, if you stay, if you persevere and stay steadfast. OK, this is where these things are going to. Revelation actually picks up that very same mantle. Based upon the circumstances that you're in, I know you're worried. All the apostles are dead. Uh, this, the use of the word "soon," you think Jesus should have returned by now? Okay, which which is a true thing. Like the Thessalonians are struggling with that problem. Where's Jesus? Okay, the mockery of Peter is. Where's Jesus? Okay? Um, so, you, so you look at those things, and that's a pressure for them. This, this thing that says, look, you either bow down and worship this, this wooden statue or this, the, in the temple of Domitian, or you, you're going to have sex with this temple prostitute, otherwise you can't be part of this trade guild here. You can't make money. You're going to do those things, otherwise you don't feed your family, or you don't get to live. A- and Jesus is reaching out and he's saying, yeah, I know. I'm still God. I am ruler of the kings of the earth. Yeah, it's probably a good reminder. They probably need a reminder of that. Okay, very good. Um, I don't think we need, to, we need to be careful, though. I don't think we need to lock this into a, a time frame. If the, the, the truth here of Jesus being a ruler of the kings of the earth, a faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, um, he's, it's not just true to them, right? It's not just true to the churches in Asia Minor. That's a true reminder for us today. Okay? Uh, he is Lord over the earth and its inhabitants now, as well as coming in future glory. To Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Note the scope of Christ's love is uh, continuous. Okay? It's demonstrated on the cross, but it's pointing to a changed reality that makes us a kingdom and priests to God the Father. Uh, anybody know where that comes from, the kingdom and priests? Let's look at, um, let's look at e- Exodus 19.4. Somebody want to grab that? And if someone else, just because it's coming up, want to grab Daniel seven. Exodus what? Nine, oh, just Exodus nineteen. And actually, let's do it's four is the verse I want. But let's let's do some context. Let's look at uh, two through six.
2: They set out from uh, Rephidim uh, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him uh, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel.
0: Good, thank you. Uh, hey, man, did he literally fly them out on wings of eagles?
2: I don't remember that part.
0: Here's the reason I keep re- I want to reinforce that because they're going to be time- we're going to jump out of the symbols. Okay, we're going to find that John's talking in symbols. The Bible uses symbols pretty broadly. Even if you think about what, what does he how does he refer to the church? How does he refer to himself? Okay. Very symbolic, okay? Uh, But there's going to be a point in Revelation where you're going to want to dive off that symbol train. And I'm just trying to remind you that this is not a fresh thing. It's not a quirky thing. It's a normal biblical way of communicating things. Okay, good. So um, we we see in Exodus 19, that's where he's kind of yanking this kingdom of priests from. Imagery that was once used for Israel, okay, the people of Israel, God's people, is continued. I wouldn't, um, sometimes we'll refer to this as replacement theology. It's not replacement, okay? If Israel is God's people, okay, As kingdom and priests, that is how God's people continue to be defined by John in Revelation. Okay? Kingdom and priests. The first believers saw themselves as members, uh, and this is the New Testament believers, as members of uh, of Israel, the inheritors in full of the spiritual blessings which were foreshadowed in the life of God's people following their exodus from Egypt. His promises there are the same uh, to those people are the same as his promises today. Those carry through to you. Our lineage is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, those are our ancestors. And that position as priests, um, it's, it's a cool thing actually um, uh, to think of ourselves in that way. So as priests, we both serve God and help to mediate his judgment and salvation to the world. Okay, that's when he says, go and make disciples. We, we are part of that process. Okay, if God is redeeming all things back to him, if he's in the process of saying that there was a world that was created and it was not what i intended it to be and i will put that right if if the cross is kind of the is the stake in the ground of, of, of that process beginning we are part of that process coming in fruition okay he's bringing he's redeeming people they're coming back to him through our work as followers as disciples we're binding the brokenhearted Okay, that those are things that we're doing, and that's the image that we get. Sometimes we need to, to degrade that because we, to lift, we feel like we have to to lift Jesus up. We have to do this, but Jesus, Jesus says, "You are kingdom and priests." Okay, because of Jesus, that's who we are. That doesn't take Jesus down. That lifts Jesus higher. Okay, so that's it's a cool thing to be reminded of is that that is our role as redeemed people in a world for God, is that we are the ones binding the brokenhearted. Okay? We're the ones telling people about the redemption and the freedom that comes from what Christ has done. We shouldn't bow out of that. We dive in. And Jesus is greater because of it. Okay? So, like, don't, don't, don't degrade what God has within you to do by, by saying, well, we, we, it's, it's, maybe that's not a common conversation, but I, I do hear that, where we're, we want to say, I want to make less of myself and, and, and more of Jesus. Well, I get that, okay? But let's at least be what Christ called us to be. Let's do that because he's glorious in that. Kingdom priest. that's us. All right, very good. Uh, It continues, see, to uh, God the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So let's talk about, um, he's getting glory and dominion forever and ever. That sounds to me a lot like Daniel 7. You may remember the context of Daniel 7. Talked about this a little bit last week.
2: Well, Daniel 7 is the, the uh, dream that Daniel has about the, the four beasts. Good. Um, that uh, he goes in the description of all four beasts and explains their physical characteristics and uh, what they do right. uh, to, to the area and how you know, big and nasty they are.
0: OK, very good. And then what happens? I w- we will keep coming back to this. Uh, it sh- it's shown up over and over in Matthew. It will keep showing up over and over in Revelation. Uh, yeah, frankly, that's also true for the Gospel of John. This is one worth reading and writing down. Okay? Remember what's going on in Daniel chapter 7. Abuba's okay, uh, description is correct. We get the picture of the beast, and then we get this picture of the Ancient of Days reigning. This is in Daniel 7, verse 9. It says, As I looked, this is Daniel looking, uh, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, uh, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Anybody, any thoughts on fire? What does fire generally represent for us biblically?
3: Cleansing. cleansing. Could be a cleansing. Purity, judgment.
0: Good. Judgment, purity, presence of God. Okay. tongue. you think of, um, think of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay. Tongues of fire. Does it need to be literal tongues of fire? I mean, here's the deal. God does what he wants, right? We said, well, that's our flat thing. Could be. Okay. But fire, who who leads the Israelites during the day or during it at night? What is it? It's a pillar of fire. Pillar of fire. Okay. It's a presence of God thing. Okay. That's what it is. Okay. So when we see stream of fire issued and coming out from before him, God's presence could be judgment. Okay, a lot, there's some options in there as far as what our fire might be. Thousands, uh, a thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. Remember, talking horn in this one. Okay, it's got to be literal. I know many talking horns. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. I think maybe our fire was a judgment. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. It's going to sound a little bit like some of our Revelation stuff, time, times, half time. Okay, the Son of Man is given dominion. Here we go, Uh, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, do we hear echoes of that same description in Revelation 1? Yeah, he's pulling in this, this, this image of a, of a conquering king who, who is coming upon his kingdom. Okay? Um, and I'll make a distinction here because only because it'll come up um, a little bit in the text. We said, uh, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there, there came one like a son of man. We said, Where's he coming from and where's he going to? What's our direction? Our
1: direction
0: is. Yeah, it's coming earth to heaven. Okay. okay. We, we, yeah, Yeah. We, we generally want to see it going in the other direction. Um, but yeah, this, at least in Daniel, Okay. if we're going to be fair, the, the direction would seem to be from earth to the ancient of days, which is from earth to heaven. Okay, good. So he's, he's borrowed some language from, uh, from Daniel 7. Um, so John combines kind of two stories from the Old Testament. We have some Daniel 7 and we have some Zechariah 12. And I'm going to read you Zechariah 12. Um, I read through some of this today, and I think it's worth reading. Parts of this. So keep an eye out on what you think he he pulls in here in Zechariah 12. All right. Zechariah 12. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. Just so we don't get too far down this road. So if we're thinking Jerusalem, keep God's people in vision, okay? Israel, God's people in vision, okay? On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. That's not, that's not good. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. Remember, what do we say about Armageddon? It means Mount Megiddo. It's a plain. It's a plain. Okay, um, the reason I want to read this whole thing is because he's, he's pulled a, a reference here, right? Okay, but the context is very cool. Like, if we said that they needed to be reminded of who God was, and how he would react to this people. What does this give us a picture of? The Lord's saying, I, I will protect my people.
1: I'll light people to the right, to the left. Yeah. So I'll just go get them and bring them, bring them to myself and protect them and raise them
0: up. Exactly. Exactly. The, nice the context. Yeah. Exactly right. The context of that quote is important. Okay, we just can't yank the verse from like, oh, cute. He used Zechariah. No, no, no. It's pulling us back to a greater understanding of what God has promised to his people. And that reassurance is even greater looking back through that. Which, to be honest with you, this has really opened up my ability to understand what's going on in Old Testament prophecy, especially your minor prophets. Like, if I can put this in the right context, um, this is not separated from me. God's promises are God's promises still. Um, and the imagery that he's using in some of these things is really fantastic, and really it drives home more than "I will protect you," "I will take," "I will dispatch with those who are after you." Okay, but like the cl- uh, clans of Judah are like a blazing pot in the midst of wood. I mean, this is this is troubles. There's, st- there's stuff going on in here that he's being very. Um, uh, I was telling a very good story, very good, cool imagery about, uh, and so that's I think what he's what he's kind of dragging us back to. So he's combined a little bit of uh, a little bit of Daniel seven, a little bit of Zechariah twelve. Um, the image, uh, the the wording in Daniel seven is coming on the clouds. Uh, the the word here is with. Okay, it's not a, it's it's not a, it's not an on. It's a with, um, which is the same thing that's used in Matthew twenty four. Although although some of your translations in, in Daniel seven will have with there. Okay, so what's
3: happening in, in the book from Zechariah? What was happening in those days?
0: So Zechariah is uh his his is towards the end. He's like after they've come back uh from the exile, but prior to was it? you help me out here. So he's he's talking just I want to say it's before the silence, right? Like just before the end of the silence. I think. Don't quote me on that. I might have to check that out a little bit deep to give you a better answer. Um Okay, where are we at here? Oh, yeah, yeah, with. So some of your Daniel 7's are going to have with. Um, I think he's making a distinction here. If we say he's with the cloud, um, I don't know, what other biblical references do we think we have for clouds?
3: Presence of the Lord.
0: Yeah, presence of the Lord. Where, where do we see it at? Any examples? Uh,
3: it's what
2: light leads the Israelites by day.
0: Correct, Israelites by day. What occupied the Holy holies. Very good. Also, um, a description of when Moses is up on a mountain talking to God. Okay, okay yeah 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 presence presence of presence of God in the cloud so I think that's what he's getting at there um so likely to represent power and and glory uh from that direction okay very good uh, here we go the time um ta-ta-ta-ta. we're good with that oh all the tribes will wail on his account all the tribes will wail on his account so the way that I would read this is that like they're not wailing because of what he's done to them they're bas- they're wailing because of they recognize what they've done to him um I think that's debatable, um, but but it's it, it's interesting because I think it's easier to understand like at the, the time of their judgment why they would wail. I get that, um, but like recognizing basically how they've uh, how they've treated God and uh, and what they've done in response to Him, I think that's actually what it's getting at here. And then John ends that section with a uh, with an amen, or as we look at it, so be it. Okay, or let it be would be our amen. Okay, good. This, this particular section is a little bit dry, but let's see if we can see if we can power through it with our examples here. Um, all right, he continues. Oh, I lost my revelation. How am I doing on time, Boo? Oh Got uh,
2: a little under an
0: hour. Holy cats! Okay, um, he continues, and this is verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, what does the Alpha and Omega mean? Uh, Beginning and Yeah, the beginning and the end. There's uh, the two letters, the beginning and ending letter in the Greek alphabet. This is the, um, we're going to see God himself speak twice in Revelation. Here, and then in Revelation 21, 3 through 8, God will speak himself. Okay? But uh, otherwise, there's otherwise descriptions of God. Here he is declaring who he is. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It speaks firmly to God's sovereignty and the shape of his creation as it relies completely on who he is. Okay? His character is one of permanence, and his creation is a reflection of his character. Uh, it also appears to bring the weight of his sovereignty upon the truth within the inclusion. So, the coming, the kingdom, the reaction of God's enemies, all that's kind of tied up in Zechariah 12 and 7, or in Daniel 7. Um, and it actually provides, I, I told you there was a bracket and inclusio um, on the um, Beatitudes from here and then in Revelation 22. There's one here too, uh, I think, as we talk about um, from verse 4, where he, um, where he talks about. Uh with spirits. Yeah. Yeah, who is who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay. Uh, good, 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 good. So things that things that are happening so far in Revelation one to eight. Um, I think there's a lot going on in here. There's a ton going on as far as our descriptions of God and understanding who His people are. Um, We've got concepts of divine revelation, witness, prophecy, uh, seven churches, eternities, the seven spirits, which we still haven't uh, described yet, but we'll get there. Martyrdom, resurrection, kingships, love, redemption, blood. Okay, Um, Our our cast of characters is showing up. We have father, son, spirit. As a matter of fact, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you see see how they show up in four. We have... um, no, that's not what I want. We'll, we'll, we'll dig that up here in just a second. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, of who we're dealing with. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, angels, John, servants, okay, uh, the churches themselves. Um, we have the death and resurrection of Jesus in time. That show, that's described in here. His victory over earthly rulers, the nature and ministry of the church and the world, the reaction to Christ's return by all the families of the earth, and the confirmation that God is Lord of all time. But ultimately, this us recognize the focus of Jesus here. Okay, what happens will happen based upon the actions of Christ. He is presented three times in this section. He's risen, he's ruling, he's victorious. He's one to whom glory and sovereignty are due. His blood was shed, but is the living Lord who is the witness or the martyr. And our priestly ministry in Christ's house is a service to God that points to our daily living. Okay, there's a ton here, even in just eight verses, okay, of, what, of the things that John can otherwise uh, explain as we go through here. Um, he continues, I, John, Uh, so he opens with I, John. Um, this is how you you'll often see uh, some of the Old Testament Jewish prophets. They'll introduce who they are as part of the prophecy. Daniel eight one says, "In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I Daniel had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me." Um, what's his connection with the people that he's writing to? Is he your
2: brother and partner in
0: the tribulation? Yeah, yeah, he's a partner with them in both the tribulation uh, and in the kingdom. Which it imply what about the tribulation and the kingdom relative to when this is being written? Present
3: tense, first
0: century. Yeah, yeah it's happening then. It's happening then. So if we're going to, uh, again, understand Revelation and we think of a time of tribulation, if, if we're going to disassociate it from the first century, okay, or at least broadly, uh, we have to pull John out of it too. And he'll, he seems to think he's part of it. Now, whether it could extend beyond the first century, Definitely. Um, but if we're going to say it's solely something that doesn't happen in the first century and it's likely to be today or a hundred years from now, we have to rethink how John's describing. He thinks he's sharing something with them. Uh, and the same thing would happen with the kingdom. Um, he believes that, uh, that the kingdom is a present thing as well. Okay. Uh, which, which I suppose, uh, just to begin foreshadow this, if we're going to think that there is a thousand year kingdom that is yet to come, then what is this kingdom that he's talking about? What is the kingdom that, that Jesus seems to refer to um, in Matthew or when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, pointing back to Daniel 7? What is this kingdom if if it's not that? And why does John think it's happening right now if it hasn't occurred yet? Okay? Just things that we're going to have to digest. There there could be an explanation for that, but we're, we're, there should be one if, if we can hold those two things in tandem. Okay, uh, he's a partner with them. Uh, tribulation, so we should still see this as tied to God's sovereignty. Um, we participate now as well as in the future in his sovereign rule over the world. If they are in a time of tri- tribulation, God is permitting it. We're going to be faced with this. Um, there's a couple key points in Revelation um, that, I, that uh, I think our normal reaction is, is we're uncomfortable with it. Okay. Um, the, the truth is, is that the God is, is gracious and loving and generous. And there will be a time when he says enough is enough. Um, and so we have to embrace that, that part of uh, his justice. His, um, his judgment that, that shows up throughout Revelation um, is the dispensation of his, uh, of his love and also his justice. Okay? That will happen. Um, and, and so we need to kind of be prepared for that. Uh, it may we, <laughs> help us to rethink, I guess, some of the aspects of how we think Jesus. We can't put him solely in the Mister Rogers category. Revelation will not permit us to do that. Or, well, if I'm being faithful to text, I believe it will not permit me to do that. Okay, I have to, to take the description of him as it is. Uh, and there's parts of Revelation that fr- there's a few particular parts that I'm frankly I'm uncomfortable with. Okay, I'm working on it. All right, um, tribulation and in the patient endurance. Uh, this makes sense in John's situation, doesn't it? Okay, is he not in that position? He's likely in exile. Remember, they tried to boil him in oil, unsuccessful. You can't kill a guy. What do you do? You send him. You send him somewhere else to try to keep him away from people. Okay, he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. He himself is in exile, and this will be a theme in Revelation. Okay, to trust in God's sovereignty even in light of a world that continues to run from Him. Um, one of the things that will this will also call into question is the thought of our physical. Um, protection of our physical protection Uh, the disciples didn't have it Um, the the first century churches didn't have it a lot of our concept in a rapture is we will be physically protected is that a promise that we can rely on is a promise that revelation allows us to rely on ignoring some of the things that we've already talked about like in the end time stuff about a rapture concept but recognize that's generally what we're saying is before bad things occur we will be protected and we will get to leave um, but our, a couple false premises the first one is, is that that's something that God promises it doesn't appear to be the case uh, Paul which seems to would have a hard time describing that doctrine um, and, and the first century church again would bear that out second of all that always tends to be from our perspective when things get bad here in America mm-hmm. you tell me there's not Christians somewhere where they're looking around and saying it, it simply can't get much worse and our perspective is to say well it's not bad here yet so the time hasn't arrived see we just have to be careful we have to be able to at least sit in the shoes. If, we, if, if here we have to be careful to stay in the shoes or in the hands of a first century Christian who has to hear this, I have to make sure that I don't steal the shoes from uh, my African brother, who is seeing the world a little bit differently than I'm seeing it. And I'm to propose how doctrine works from, from my chair here. So we have to be careful because that guy still loves Jesus. He's still a brother of mine. And I can't steal his vision for the world and say, you're wrong, I'm right. If there's an earthquake here or if there's a flood here, then we'll know that there's real trouble. You know, um, there's a story that a, um, a professor was telling one time, and he said uh, there were the, the, it was during Hurricane Katrina. Um, and I remember that well, it was, the, it was the weekend I got married. I got married like that weekend uh, that, that the uh, flooding and stuff happened in New Orleans. And uh, it was a big deal, but there was a professor that was over teaching somewhere else. And uh, he saw a bunch of these news articles pop back when he got home about how maybe this is a sign of the end times, some of these things that they we're looking out for, these natural disasters and the things that we expect. And the truth is he'd been gone for two months, never heard of it. Not one thing. And so we just got to be careful, right? We have to work on a little bit of a broader perspective. Um, he's not the Lord of America. He's, he's the Lord of the world. And so as we share that vision, we share that kingdom and priests with people everywhere, uh, not only in geographically but in time, we have to consider how, how do we understand these things that aren't so me-focused, okay? Good. Uh, I said good to my own stuff. Very well done, Ben. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, It's how I feel. I just try to keep that in most of the time. (laughs) I try to convince my wife that the one thing that's lacking in this world that would be a true gift is if I had the opportunity to actually interact with myself. (laughs) I believe that. Okay, here we go. Uh, So it's a theme in Revelation, okay? Trust in God's sovereignty, even in light of a world that continues to run from Him. Um, Christians will suffer and die and face per- persecution and temptation and mockery. That's true for them. That's true here, okay? Even if it's not America here, okay? It is here, world here. Um, which uh, then likely, the, the societal reaction is, what are you dying for? What is, what is this? That, where's, again, same thing. Where is this Jesus? What are you dying for? Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. That's how we can persist in this thought, even in the light of what someone else would call foolishness. How, do you, how can you believe this stupid thing of which people are dying for? We say, well, the cross is foolishness to you. Okay, I'm I mean, going to get that. Like, I, I, and Frankly, I like that the Bible doesn't really pull any punches. Like, yeah, that's how it's going to be digested. You're going to be on the other side of the fool equation. That's you. But the cross is the cross. And Jesus is Jesus. And these things are under control. Okay, um, that's ultimately what this letter is calling us for. It's a call to steadfastness. In light of what you know about Christ, in light of who you are, persevere. Uh, it continues in Revelation 6. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, this is just an example of something that I, that I think um, brings us home a little bit that we have to digest. Um, Revelation 6, it's during one of the judgments. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice. They cried to God, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth? We died for you. When will you avenge us? When will you set this right? Then they were each given a white robe and told to wait a little longer. <coughs> sovereign God, right? If I don't trust a sovereign God, I don't trust this. But if, I, if God is who he says he is and he does what he says he does and this is under his control, then a, solid, a sovereign God that says, you died for me, I know, rest a little while longer, well, Then I rest. He's got a, it's a call for perseverance. I know what this looks like. I know, as you're as you're crying out from from under the altar where the sacrifice is made, all these people that have died said, "Even more will die." Told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Not enough. God says, "Not enough yet. More will more will die." I'm calling for perseverance. I like that. I like that the Bible is is is, is at least like I can sympathize with where I worry. I say, yeah, but are you sure? Because this looks wrong. We're still dying here. And you told me to hold steadfast, and we're X number of years down the road, and these things are still happening. And God says, yes, I know. It will be foolishness to those, and you need to wait a little longer. John's exiled on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So uh, I I think we can rightfully infer uh, understanding his situation. Basically, this is what he's incurred for doing what he's supposed to do following Jesus. Uh, it says he's in the spirit. What do you think that means? Hey, man. Here's the deal. I
1: think he's listening to what the spirit's yeah. telling him. I think he's he's in it. He's he's paying attention. He's writing it down. He's he's doing what he's called to do. If you're in the spirit, you're you're praying and you're yeah. telling it and you're you're in tune and you're following.
0: That's what I'm saying. Okay, that's right. That's where I would generally land. I think he's basically the, the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him, and he's paying attention. Uh, now, here's what we're gonna say: We are in the Revelation class. Okay. Now, you don't want to guess on what's going on in First Corinthians. I hear you, because there's like it's a little more stringent of a deal. Okay. But like, there are no greater options than symbolic language of which you get to like say, well, I think it's a pony. Well, okay. We could talk about that. Maybe it's a pony. Maybe it's not. All right. But if you're gonna just throw out answers, this is the place to do it. All right? So this, uh, this uh, well, I don't want to say anything, it might be embarrassing. Like, I believe a lot of weird stuff about Revelation. Let's at least get on with it, with what you think it might be. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long
2: class. Hey, man, my first, first thought was that he was sleeping. So I didn't say anything for a reason.
0: Well, okay. see, now you could have said that, and we said, okay.
2: But then, in the spirit happened. No, she, we all
0: she nailed it, and you were we shamed. Uh, <laughs> the
2: sleeping thing was the it wrong was, thing. So. No, no, that
0: was very it's embarrassing for <laughs> you.
2: Don't call me out <laughs>
0: Say sleeping. Nobody capitalizes sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's in the spirit. He's in the spirit. And so where we contrast this is if you look at in um, uh, Peter in Acts twelve, uh, he's having that vision right of the meat on a sheet. Okay, he's having this vision, and then it says, "I came." He came back to what? Is that not? A, is not a deal? <laughs> Should I do bookmarks? What's the thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it says he he came to himself. Okay, so so it kind of gives us the other the other end of that. He was in the spirit, he's seeing these things, and then he comes to himself. The vision is now over. Okay, that's our comparison. Uh, all right, uh, Lord's Day. What day is that? Saturday. Wrong answer. Every day belongs to the Lord. Shameful. No, it's, no, you're right. It's Sunday. <laughs> I gave you Sunday for free. Saturday. It's not. No, no it's not. It's not the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. The day you remember his resurrection. Oh, God. Uh, yep. Lord's Day is Sunday, uh, day of Christ's resurrection. It's when they generally met uh, for worship, although that undersells it. Because um, if you guys read, um, oh, I gave you a link, but I didn't give you the story in the packet. Um, but it's that conversation that I said where they, um, uh, there's defending himself against Christians being uh, incestuous and um, um, cannibals. So you guys remember we were, we were talking about that? So there's a link in your packet of that discussion. It's an apologetic, uh, it's like a fake discussion between two guys talking about the things that people were accusing Christians of. Um, and anyway, within that, within that discussion, one of the things he says is, um, look, we're not causing any harm here. We meet every day before work, and, and we talk about it and then we go about our, our business, and we do our work. Um, and so when we say that they met on Sunday to worship, that's true, um, but it's actually a lot more integrated than that. Uh, and in acts, acts 20, 20, Uh, Sorry, 20 verse 7, it kind of reiterates this. It says, on the first day of the week, that would be our Sunday, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech Hey, until midnight. See? You're allowed to talk late, biblically. It's right here, Babcock. (laughs) Holy, like like it's 8 o'clock. Yeah, two o'clock. Oh shoot, okay, oh, okay.
2: Excuse me, it's seven fifty eight, I'll give you the two. <laughs> I need it. Uh
0: here we go. Um, la- okay, he said there's a loud here. He's in a loud voice. Uh, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, "Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and Pergamum, and Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, let's look at, um, ooh, Ezekiel, already this. So in Ezekiel 3.12, he steals a little bit of this um, from Ezekiel. It says, Then the spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of great rushing saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord uh, from his place. And uh, the ESV renders it, then the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. Okay, so he's, he takes a little bit of Ezekiel language there. Both guys uh, in, the, in the spirit being seen something and then there's a loud something going on behind them. A uh, trumpet is a, um, if I were to describe a trumpet blast, generally loud and it's generally clear. It's like a distinct blast. Okay. So I think there's, um, there's some comparisons there. Uh, we also, if you look at Exodus 19:16, I thought this kind of made sense. Uh, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. So there's some of the stuff we've been talking about. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Who's coming? God's coming to the camp. Okay. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Okay, we got our cloud. That's a God. We got a trumpet uh, coming before we see God. This, in this case, is Jesus. Okay, good. It seems we have some consistency. Be able to kind of treat it that way. Um, ooh, ooh. What does it say? John is to write what he sees. Right? Fire. Um, yeah. What do you say? Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Can you see a voice? Hey, man. Tricky. Or not a problem at all. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? So, so again, um, uh, I'm reinforcing this. we want on a natural reading of Revelation. Um, if you're fighting for literal, then you're fighting something weird here. Okay? So just, uh, I will give this up after probably next week. But I will continue to do this to make sure we don't, we don't jump out of a problem. Uh, okay. Very good. Uh, he writes what he sees. The word implies like a spiritual perception, not just what he takes in by sight. Because again, given that he also hears things. Uh, he's writing down things he heard. Trump trumpet blast. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Okay, what, what do we recognize in here? Yeah, we got a bit of a Daniel 7, don't we? Uh, talking about the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. Now, that is a description of who in Daniel 7? Yeah, that's a, that's a description of God in Ancient of Days. Who does it describe here?
2: Jesus.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's not a problem. It's a reinforcement. Okay, because this is debatable how much this is a problem, okay? But like one of the things you continue to see is, is attributes that belong to God from an Old Testament perspective are now assigned to Jesus, okay? Um, could you, it, it's reinforcing the concept of a single a single God, a monotheistic God, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is something that even rationally, I feel like if I was a Jew at this time that I'm, I'm still gonna be trying to grasp this thing, okay? Like we, we have problems with Trinity now as a basic doctrine, as understanding concepts, right? But coming from a defined point in time of which we dealt with a single God, although the Spirit was certainly certainly through, you can find Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's not like you can't, but like you can, I think we can recognize this struggle. And I think John is, is, is reinforcing this. These words that are used to describe God, those attributes still apply to Christ. Okay, so he's, he's reinforcing that too. What do you have? A, a mixed Greek-Jewish audience. I think that's where those things uh, continue to make sense. Um, other other example, Daniel ten, um, which is where we find uh, many more of the parallels uh, that show up here. Let me find it. We if you want. You got it. Can you just just start reading Daniel ten
3: from the beginning? Or? Yeah. Uh, in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia, word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding in the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks and and ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigers, I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold, from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like burial. His face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, uh, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. Okay. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves.
0: OK, do we, do we see some connections there, too? Okay. Yeah. So I think we got a combination of a description of him from Daniel seven and Daniel ten. I would be that's the Jesus figure in Daniel ten. So, yeah, so we get kind of this representative description uh, from John in this description. So we see, uh, what do we got? Oh, shoot, we got, we still got lampstands to deal with. Um, that's our. Right. He'll define those too. So he, so he's clothed with a long robe, a golden sash. Um, th- there might be an allusion to some of the priestly sashes, sashes um, from Exodus 28 and 29. Um, I don't, we don't need to dig too far into that, but I think there might be an allusion there. Um, burnished uh, yeah, burnished bronze. you um, see, his feet were like burnished so, I mean, that's, that's not just um, it's strong, but it's also polished, right? Um, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Um, he's going to define these for us, um, the lampstands and the, uh, and the stars here in just a minute. Let's talk about uh, his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Um, what, what, what is it? Was he a sword swallower? What's the deal? Have we seen this image of Jesus before, with a sword? So, what is
2: it? The Sword of truth? Am I thinking wrong when I say that?
0: Um.
2: So, like, what I mean by that is the sword is representing the words of his mouth. Yeah. The power of
0: that. Yeah, that's the point. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so we have a similar thing when Jesus is talking and saying, like, um, you're going to have uh, you're basically brother against brother, right? Um, children will turn against their father. Like, and he said, I brought, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, is, is, is it a broad sword? Do we see Jesus swinging around a sword, fighting, you know, like actually bringing violence to people? What, the sword that divides them, the things that separates families, that puts them at odds, is the truth that he's bringing. It's the word. Okay? And that same thing is coming here. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged Sword. What makes this sword double-edged? Let's, let's, let's assume, assume for consistency purposes that I think that sword is, is, is his words. Okay, is the truth he's communicating. Why is it two-edged? Why is it double-edged?
2: Because you can follow on both sides of it. It can, be, it can be words of truth and encouragement for your salvation. It can be words of damnation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so that, that that's that's kind of the image we're getting. It can it can bring war to those that um, <clears throat> war to those that are against God. It can bring protection for those that are on the other side of it. Okay, it can bring freedom. It can bring damnation. All those things. Are you are you pondering something, Dave Eric? Yeah, a little
3: bit. It uh, well, can heal. It
0: can kill. Yeah, yeah. Like it has it has a dual purpose depending on the. Circumstance. I think you have a, Dave Herrick is doubting what I'm saying and it's bothering me. I'm I can real, see.
3: Th- I really am having kind of a hard time with this. It, it's more of a military weapon as opposed to like a, a group of militia guys who grab the kitchen knife and, and line up for, for battle. This is more uh, the the strong arm of a, of a well-defined military would be uh, someone who wields a, a, uh, a double-sided sword. Um, you're not going to find a double-sided sword or a double-sided sword like this in your kitchen. It's not a practical... Why
0: are you saying kitchen, though? Did someone say kitchen?
3: It, you're not going to find a <laughs> <exclusive laughs> house or a household. It's no, yeah,
0: I, I wouldn't assume so. It's
3: not a common everyday weapon. It's something that is exclusive to soldiers.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
3: Okay. So it, it has a very strong military connection.
0: No, it. right, but I, I don't know that it implies... Um, uh, I, I think it is... So are you saying you don't think it's a word? You say you think it's like a, it's more of a physical reality.
3: I, I wouldn't look at it as uh, for its versatility in terms of hey, here it is for, for the purpose of life and for the purpose of death. For that, I, I'd look more towards a kitchen knife or, or a wood chopping axe because that's something that can have military application, but also has very
0: practical. Uh, well, so I don't know that I think it in terms of versatility in that way. It's more of who you are, right? Like if you have a guy, if you have someone standing here, um, call, let's call him your military man, right? Okay, and, uh, and he's holding this precise weapon, and he's swinging it out this way. If I'm the guy on this end of the thing, then it is something that is aggressive towards me. If I'm the guy over here behind this man, I am protected by it. Okay. That's what I mean. Okay, sure. That makes sense? Okay. So
2: there's an aversion to the sword thing in Isaiah 49. Um, uh, 49.1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Um, so, I mean, thinking about what Isaiah was, he was he was a prophet who brought like uh, 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 turner burn, not turner burn. Sorry, I'm trying to use that. <laughs> um, A choice to Israel. Isaiah was bringing a God is not pleased, God is not excited for what you've done. He's saying you need to turn away from what you've been doing. Isaiah literally brought that perspective of you need to turn back to God Mm -hmm. because you have forsaken him, Israel. You've run away from him. I think that's why I was thinking that that's why it made sense in in the perspective of it's either for or against God being the double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And I think it builds into the, the whole, if you kind of put all this stuff together, like you have this description of someone who is who is powerful, who's in control, who's sovereign, okay? And so all that stuff actually would seem to build that case of what he's trying to describe, which, again, is something that's important if we're to obey the things that are just about to come out of his mouth, okay? The authority and sovereignty that otherwise backs those things is understood in the description that we're otherwise being provided of him, okay? Okay, very good. Um... Although I like, even in the face of that, look at the last thing he said. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What, what, I don't know. What do we think? Um, well, actually, we're running out of time. I'll tell you what I think. Uh, <laughs> you can, you can, That's
2: you, your time saver?
0: You can disagree with me and grumbles at home. No, uh, all right. So the, um, it reconciles. Let's see. The first two. So I think the, the descriptions you have are some care and judgment. And then his, the face shine like the sun when it shines. Okay, Um, where Jesus is, darkness will flee, his light will shine, exposing those that controvert his purposes, illuminating those that are faithful. I actually think it's a very positive thing that he's coming from, where where, you may react uh, differently to the double-edged sword, but like all this is reconciled in the I don't know, the, the brightness, the glorification uh, of Jesus that he ends with. So I kind of like that, that, it, that this, this doxological description of Christ um, kind of ends with that, uh, his, son, uh, his face shining uh, like the sun when it shines. And it feels a little bit like the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, you know what, what's interesting here is um, I'll read you Matthew seventeen two, and then I want you to see how we, if we see some comparisons here with with our shining Jesus. Okay, uh, Matthew seventeen two says, and he was transfigured before them. This is Christ, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah." You will not see that repeated in Revelation. The tent making is something that didn't make the recapitulation. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. All right. So let's watch. Let's follow into Revelation uh, one, seventeen and eighteen, and see what happens. Um, By the
1: way, you keep giving chapter and verse, and we're reading the the one that doesn't have chapter and verse in it.
0: Oh, yeah, right. You want us writing
1: the
0: chapter of mercy? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, no, no. It might be, might be worth having a second reference. <laughs> Just for studying purposes. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. So so let's see what happens to John, though. So you, you were encountered with this uh, Jesus. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. John's reaction. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That sounds like their reaction at the transfiguration. But he laid his right hand on me. Touches him, just like in the transfiguration, saying, fear not. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Okay? Do not be afraid. Same thing at the, at the transfiguration. Uh, it says, I'm the first and the last, and the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So what, what I think is interesting here is the Gospel of John does not contain the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration story. Every other Gospel does. But John's does not. It's in Revelation. He, he, you have a similar moment. Right. A glorified Christ image. You're the falling as though dead, the touching on the right hand. You know what else I thought was cool? Like, I don't know the significance of this. So just take this for uh, you know, what it's worth. But like, you remember when Jesus or uh, John and James asked um, to be on Jesus's right and left. And now what they don't realize is what they're asking for is a cross. And Jesus says, no, uh, he's got other guys that are handling that. Who who's at Jesus's right hand right here? It's our friend John. That could be, that's very poetic and cool or completely not applicable to the story at all. But I like it. I like the thought that, like, that's what he asked for, okay? Jesus denies it. It will be actually fulfilled at some other point, okay? Uh, that's, not a, that's not a bumper sticker. Meat on a sheet, bumper sticker, okay? Right hand uh, during Revelation, eh, I still like it, though. Okay. Um, when I saw him, John, as though dead, Jesus reached out to him, just like in the Transfiguration, and says, rise and have no fear. Uh, oh, on those... Um, Oh, how does Jesus touch John with his right hand while he's holding seven stars? There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an answer to this. I've given it to you like five times. Simple, right? It's not a literal stars, not a literal problem. Okay, simple. Um, that ends
2: next
0: week, right? Yeah, probably next week. Here, you wait. Week five, I'm going to have to drag you back in here. No, but man, I saw him on the news, that guy. He's a harlot. He was sleeping with the nations. Kevin totally had that answer. <laughs> Good job, Kevin. It's a pony. <laughs> okay. Um, I am the first and the last. Jesus takes on the same description as God himself. Okay. Alpha and omega. Um, this is important for our Jewish comforts. Um, and, and again, the I am, those are I am statements. John's a fan. Okay, those are uh, ego eimi, the I am who I am. It's the same that the Septuagint, the, or the that's the New Testament, but the Greek, the I am who I am would have used ego as the I am statement. You see that repeated in John's Gospel. He continues that here um, in Jesus talking about himself. Okay, um, It not, not only uh, points to who Jesus is, but also harkens back to God's identity. Uh, he says, and the living one, that's, uh, that's kind of uh, an apposition. So, like, if I'm going to say... Um, I'm going to go to the store that is is V. Okay, those two things are connected. So the and the living one is kind of a that a that is related to the other things that he said. Okay, I am the first and the last. That is the living one. I died and behold I'm alive evermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. What does that mean? What does it mean to own the keys to something? Yeah, yeah. You can you control it, right?
1: Is this where people get that Jesus went to hell?
0: Um, no, no. Actually, I think that's um, I think that's an inference from uh, his death, and I think that's possible. Hey, here's the deal. I'm iffy on. Go ahead.
3: Mentioned he descended. Yeah. Uh, at some point,
0: he yeah. The nature of what he was doing in hell, I think, is highly debatable. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think it's certainly a plausible thing.
3: It, it's worth noting there's no period in the middle of that sentence.
0: For uh, which which one?
3: Uh, Fear not, I'm the first, the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive. So you could almost take uh, the living one, I died, and behold, I'm alive, as kind of a set of three statements about him all together. Oh,
0: okay, okay, uh, okay, good. So he says, I am, uh... Wait, sorry. No, that's okay parallel
3: to how God said, uh, I'm the Alpha and
0: the Omega. I
3: am the one who is, who was, and who kind of parallel that uh, verse 8. So it's almost like he's saying, yeah, just like what
0: God identified himself. Right. Uh, Okay, let's see if we can tuck this up real quick. Uh, So let's see, I have the keys to death and Hades. It's also one that can unlock death. Right, so like we have a um, that kind of ties back to his understanding of I'm the firstborn. Um, uh, Forget I'm getting our language here, um, but basically the firstborn, yeah, firstborn of the dead. That's what I wanted. Um, so the key to death and Hades it says, right. Therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of this, here we go. Here we go. Mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches So
3: What are the seven spirits
0: Oh shoot actually I did need to explain the seven spirits hold on Hold on Is that I've been that's waiting for like hour Shoot of that's the one I promised right Yeah Ah, oh, shoot Okay that's my bad <laughs> <laughs> so Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you
1: didn't read. Wasn't there a gold
0: in there? Here's here's what here's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna edit that out from the tape. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's let's talk about the um, uh, yeah. Let's talk about the seven spirits. So, um, so there, I, the, here's what there's, um the, I, here's what I think. I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's a complete Spirit. Okay. I think it's representing the Holy Spirit. See, that, that's why um, you said uh, is, there, is it could be perfection. Uh, so in this instance, yeah, I'll take either one. Either one is fine. Both would be Holy Spirit to me. Um, how you get there is a little bit more um, complicated. Um, so he says in 3.1, in, uh, in Revelation 3.1, so we're tra- if we can try to use this, interpret in the same light of how John uses it the rest of the time in Revelation. Uh, in 3.1, he writes to the angel of the church in Sardis with words from the one who's having the seven spirits of God. Even the seven stars, um, so you have you kind of have a connection there, right? Um, of two things conflicting the seven stars, which is the um, <coughs> the seven churches, or excuse me, the um, seven angels, and then. Um, the seven spirits shows up again in four or five and and revelation five six in the throne root of god it says in four or five the spirits are equated with the seven torches of fire that are burning in front of god's throne um and in five six the seven eyes of the lamb are identified as the seven spirits of god which are sent out on a mission to the whole world so it's kind of got a description of what the holy spirit would be doing um and it picks up some imagery from zechariah and, I, and isaiah both um so I would say most people will follow that this is probably the Holy Spirit or, again, like it's, it's, it is debatable. It is it a debatable position? Um, I think I think where this makes the most sense for me, um, if you see the way that it's de- they're described in front of the throne, you have the Father is present, um, the Holy Spirit is present, if it's the seven spirits and then Jesus. And that is the same way that the uh, order of which they're introduced in chapter one. And so otherwise you have a picture of Father Um, weird spirit thing that we don't know and then Jesus and so I actually think within that kind of uh, tri-notion of them I think the spirit makes sense and if I allow that to kind of inform how I understand it through the rest of the book I think it's the Holy Spirit so that's what I'm working with although like I said certainly it's a debatable thing I don't know that it has a significant impact because you'll continue to see um You'll continue to see angels kind of acting on behalf of God that seem to have an elevated uh, relationship or able to do things that we would expect Jesus or the Holy Spirit to be able to do. Um, the only thing I, I hate to say, if it's not it, is um, you have some pretty cool pictures where you have kind of the Trinity all in one spot, and there's not a lot of places in Scripture where those things are, so they're kind of cool. And so I kind of want it to be the Holy Spirit um, because it fits those marks in here. But, um, I, you know, I wouldn't I uh, probably wouldn't arm wrestle a guy over it. Okay. Very good. Am I out of time, Booba?
2: I got up 10 minutes.
0: Dang. Um, all right, let, let's do a breeze over Ephesus to try to prepare us for the rest of the churches, and then hopefully um, those that will go faster when we get to the rest of them. Um, one of the things I suppose to introduce is, we talked a little bit about last week, is some people want to separate chapters 2 and 3 from the rest of the book. Okay, They seem to be um, direct things that help. Um, the present churches that are uh, first century churches in Asia Minor. Um, I don't think we can do that. A couple things would draw me back to that. That that Beatitude Inclusio makes me think that everything between one and the end is, uh, is tied together. Uh, also, uh, the, the tying our letters together. Okay, the uh, John's introduction as if this is a letter. His closing, that sounds like a lot of the Old Testament letters, also happens at the end of Revelation. It doesn't happen at the end of chapter 2 and 3. That would allow me to try to treat these separately. The reason we try to force that perspective in is it acts like the stuff that we're talking about to the churches uh, in Revelation 2 and 3 are not pertinent to us, and that's not true at all. Uh, I think he's, a lot of the things he's describing certainly still make sense to us. Um, so they can work and on any time level. It doesn't have to be just then. And then if you take everything that happens at, between chapter 4 and 22, those also function um, not, again, on a specific time level. They're describing um, circumstances, not necessarily events, which would allow those things to all play together. Um, there are some hypotheses that uh, maybe John wrote the second, 2 and 3 first, and then he followed up with the prophecy. I just I don't see there's a lot that makes sense to me, especially because one of the things you'll see is the description when he talks to the churches. Um, when he introduces Jesus, it all ties back, like the description of Jesus all ties back to a description we've already received of Jesus in chapter 1. And the, um, he describes at the end for every church, um, as conquerors, here will be your reality. And that ties back to things that happen in Revelation 21 and 22. Okay? So I think um, it, that would be a bit of a stretch to me to act like they are jumping out uh, and that those things didn't happen at the same time. I think it's all included. But again, a lot of that backdrop comes because we force a lot of places in Revelation to be specific events in time as opposed to allowing to communicate truths about God through time. Okay. All right, good. So let's look at uh, at Ephesus. All right, he says, uh, there is a consistent pattern to this. Um, for every church, you're going to see it's addressed to the angel, the messenger of the church. Um, you're going to get an identification of Jesus. Like I said, it's going to go. I'll put this stuff in your packet, by the way. You guys don't have to write all this stuff down. I'll put it in your packet for next week. Um, you're going to get an identification of Jesus that we also find in Revelation 1. Okay? Watch those. It could be interesting relative to what he's actually saying to the churches, why he's described in a specific way. Um, the bronze thing shows up in a town that is known for a bronze guild. Okay? Um, I know. Jesus knows something positive or negative about them. Okay? He says, I know your deeds. I know your works. Um, it's an intimate language. Jesus knows them closely. It's one of the things we're going to see about his descriptions about these churches is like he's saying things that are very specific to them. They're broad implications for the church as a whole, but they are specific to them. Um, he's going to give an assessment of their status, which results in either a commendation or a condemnation. Because you are doing this, keep it up. Because you're doing this, I will take your lampstand away. Okay? He has a reaction to what they're doing. Um, Sardis and Laodicea receive no commendation. They don't get any positive reaction. Both Smyrna and Philadelphia um, give no con- receive no condemnation. Okay, just an encouragement. Um, there's an exhortation or encouragement. There's a promise for those that overcome. And like I said, those will mirror things that are described um, on the new heavens, new earth in chapter 22. And then a call to hear the Spirit. Uh, he who has an ear, uh, hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches, um, similar to what you would expect in parables. Um, things to watch out for. There is a, I think there is a chiasm in here. I'll put that in your packet. We'll talk a little bit about it next week. If you remember, I said it's a, um, a description that otherwise points to a main Uh, a main thought. It doesn't mean that the stuff that supports it aren't right uh, or important. It's just if, if there was a main point, the tip of the chiasm arrow, which is something happens, something happens, description. That's the main point. Something happens that mirrors what happened here. Something is described that mirrors what's happening here. That's kind of your chiasm. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week, but I think there is one going on with the churches. Um, Watch for the tension between faith and works. Okay. Or when I say tension, probably the tie the tie of what Jesus infers about what we believe and how it influences what we do. Um, there's, uh, there's just not a chasm there as we all often tend to treat it. Um, but do watch that it complements the overall theme of salvation through judgment. Okay, um, to the church in Ephesus. Right, we're not going to make it. Almost up there. <laughs> that's it's not going to happen. I got a page and a half of notes. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. So read through these. Um, here's what I'll do to try to move this along. I will provide you some details about the churches um, that I think might inform how we can understand some of the perspective, and I'll post that to the Facebook group. So if you're not on the Facebook group group and uh, do not want to be, um, maybe shoot me an email, um, and then I can email them to you. Okay, it's bfoost at thepathonline.org, and I can email this to you. Um, otherwise, I'll try to post those, and that'll help us move a little bit quicker through the churches next week. Um, and then we can move on uh, to uh, the real creepy stuff uh, starting in Revelation chapter 4. Okay, any questions for me before I let you go? Nope. Okay, very good. Have a good night. Thanks for coming.